1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Support for this podcast comes
2: from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme?
3: Today's edition of the DBR podcast is brought to you once again by those fine gentlemen and scholars of Bird Campbell, PA. Bird Campbell means business. Duke fans, hello and welcome to episode number 135 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are coming to you on Thursday, November 15th. We are recording just a few days before Duke football heads down to Death Valley to take on Clemson, but also before our Duke basketball team heads off to Maui for the Maui Invitational. They've never lost in Maui, uh, and we're going to see a ridiculous field. But before we get into all that, I am the captain of the ship this week. I am Donald Wine. I am here in Washington D.C., my home. Uh, I only have one of our uh, usual cohorts with me. Uh, Sam, uh, who is down in Durham, is off being a student uh, right now, uh, so we're going to let him be a student. And I'm going to bring in the Atlian, uh, Jason Evans. Jason, what's up, man?
2: Not a lot. Not a lot. You and I are going to have to carry the carry the load this week, huh?
3: I, I think so. You know what? Like we we've put Sam through a lot. I. I I ran him through the ringer this weekend. It's almost it's almost Thanksgiving. And he actually has to learn a little bit, I think, while he's down in Fuqua, don't you think?
2: Oh, and I'm sure he's working on some papers. They're always, you know, there's always stuff due right before Thanksgiving. So always. I'm sure he's slammed. He's slammed. Probably group projects because, like, if it was a paper, he could go, okay, I'll take time out and do the podcast and then do the paper. But if it's a group project, your group's like we're all meeting at nine. You're like, oh, no, I, I got to do a podcast. They'd be like, uh, no, you don't. You got to yeah. be with the group. <laughs> to be
3: fair, Section 5, I, I, I do know they're all fans of the podcast. So maybe they would make this exception. But, you know, what? we're going to let it slide this week. It's almost Thanksgiving. Let's give him a, a little time to get some of the stuff done that he needs so that he'll be back next week. But you know what? Why don't, why don't we just start with the basketball? How about that?
2: I think that's an excellent idea. The dunk show was in town.
3: Oh, yes. Uh, and last, uh, I guess this was last night on Wednesday, um, Duke hosted my hometown, Eastern Michigan Eagles. And you know what? Eastern Michigan just did not have a chance from the, from the jump. Uh, it was 84, 66. Um, it actually wait, hang 80, on. 84, 84 to 46, 46.
2: Yeah. Them. 66. They, they didn't dream of getting 66. <laughs> I dreamed that
3: they made it closer than it actually was. So um, 84 to 46, um, the Eagles went down, um, and everyone last night, finally, if they weren't already, finally, bared witness to our Lord and Savior, Zion Williamson. But before <laughs> I get in that, Jason, I have kind of a challenge for you. I yes. want you to talk about one aspect of this game, That does not include Zion Williamson. Go.
2: Oh, dude. Okay, I'll tell you what I'll talk about then. I'm going to talk about our defense, which I was very impressed with. It is worth noting that this Eastern Michigan team is not a bad team. Mm -hmm. They they were ranked right around the top 100 in Ken Pomeroy's rankings coming into the game last night. Now, look, a top 100, you know, a team that's barely, they were just outside the top 100. A team like that, clearly they're not going to be able to beat this Duke team, but It's not like this is a team that had no chance at all. It's not like this is a team that, I don't know, if they were matched up with a lower-tier ACC team, you'd go, oh, they have no chance. They have no shot. Eastern Michigan's fairly good. This is a team that has talked about making the NCAA tournament come March. They're part of a conference that thinks their conference should get multiple bids come March. And we utterly dismantled them. And to me, the place where we dismantled them was on defense. So they hit the opening basket. They went up two to nothing. And then they made exactly one free throw over the next seven minutes of action. They had two points in the first minute. They had a total of one more point over the next seven minutes. And during that time, we outscored them 21 to one. That's not good. During those seven minutes, we harassed them into seven turnovers. And they ended the first half with. 14 turnovers, 14 turnovers in one half of basketball. Now it's a bad day. If you have 14 turnovers in a whole game, they had 14 turnovers in the half. And that is why this game was completely over at halftime. It was 48 to 13 ball game finished done. End of story. I was the Cameron crazies. The
3: Cameron crazies gave a nice round of applause and started chanting double digits when, uh, Eastern Michigan finally made it, but I'm pretty sure it was like right around the under four timeout with left in the, in the half before they made it to that point. Yeah, it, it was. They were they were
2: 17 minutes in single digits. I, that's okay. a lot, I mean, and again, this is a fairly decent team that that had had no chance of scoring against us. And folks, that is so so important uh, because we know these guys can score.
3: Yeah, so you know what? You pass the challenge, and before we get into the Zion Williamson show, I'm going to do the same and talk about a uh, non-Zion aspect. I'm going to talk about Trey Jones. Um, Trey Jones, I thought, you know, it's funny. When you're talking about Trey Jones when he was coming in, no one was talking about, uh, you know, people were saying he's going to be able to distribute, he's going to score. He hasn't scored that much this year, and I don't think that's a concern. I think what it is is, you know, he's been really, really good at – you know, helping out with the – you're just distributing the ball. He had eight turn. – I'm sorry, eight assists last night and only one turnover. I want to say he's only had a couple of turnovers on the season, and, and that has really been what's engineering this. You know, a lot of times he's been helping out with steals. Three. He's been helping on defense. What's that? Three. He's had three
2: turnovers on the season. Three games, three turnovers from your point guard. And, and by the way, 22 assists, 22 to three. That's a that's pretty, pretty good ratio. Pretty good. That's, that's amazing. That is truly impressive. I mean, the, the dude is averaging more than seven assists a game and one turnover. A seven to one assist to turnover
3: ratio, that's legendary. Yes, absolutely. And you know what? Like, I, I really and I really like that even though he's you know sometimes when you have a point guard that doesn't score, people consider that a liability. They hone in on him and make him try to shoot the ball. The thing is, he can shoot the ball. He, we've we've seen him so far during the year have some pretty good shots, have take, you know, looks at the basket, you know, dribbles, drives to the basket. And I think what he has done is he in a way has made himself not have to score, but I you know, at the same time, he can still be a major impact on the offense and make it so that guys aren't, you know, check double teaming off of him. Um, and leaving him open and, and trying you know like last year there was a lot of times where trayvon duval was forced to shoot the ball because he was the only one open they were double teaming everybody else they're not doing that so far this year because they know that Trey jones can't hurt them and i think that is a really big asset and i think it's kind of one of the things where in in the limelight that you know uh, uh you know the other guys are are, are, are under he's kind of outside of that spotlight so far this year and i think it's really uh it's really encouraging that he's playing as well as he is because that is allowing everybody else to have that limelight. Well, and and it's
2: worth noting about him, he has played the second most minutes of anybody on the team. RJ Barrett's at 90 minutes. Trey Jones is at 84 minutes. Um, and uh I, I think we're gonna continue to see that as the season moves along, as we start to play, you know, more and more quality op- opponents. Trey Jones has to be in the game virtually the whole time. He's mm-hmm. the the beginning of our defense and the beginning of our offense. I mean, you did uh, see and, Jordan uh, Goldman quite,
3: quite a bit last year or last night. You know, he had 19 minutes. Um he he was and here's the thing, he, I thought he was pretty capable. Um it wasn't like he was lighting the world on fire, but he was a capable uh distributor on offense uh while Trey Jones got a little bit of rest. But yeah, you're right. During these big games, you're gonna see Trey Jones play 35, 36, 37 minutes.
2: Hey, are we allowed to get to the Zion show? Go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. So this morning on ESPN, Mike Greenberg, uh, this isn't the exact quote. Someone told me this and I I saw it myself as well. Uh, Mike Greenberg pointed out, he said, you know what, last night on the night that LeBron James passed Wilt Chamberlain for fifth on the NBA's all-time scoring list, LeBron passed Wilt for fifth on the NBA's all-time scoring list. With a 44-point night. night. Yeah. On the night that that happened, everyone was watching a guy playing his third college game. And he is talking about Zion Williamson. The the ridiculous, absurd, mind-blowing Zion Williamson. And I'm going to say this stat before you do. And I apologize. I know you're going to hate me for it. Don't mm-hmm. pointed it out, but I have to say it anyway because it's such an incredible, unbelievable stat. Zion Williamson now has more blocked shots on the season than missed shots. He has missed a total of seven field goals all season, and he has nine blocked shots. That's, like, unfathomable. It is –
3: uh, This is straight – this is NBA Jam numbers.
2: Yeah, exactly. This is video game. It's like he's playing a video game, and he's got a cheat code. By the way, he's hitting eighty-two percent of his field goals. He's hitting eighty-two percent. That's that's like I, I can't even put into words what a crazy number that
3: is. Um, for all it's- of you the out there, you know, after the game last night, we were you know, in our usual group meet chat, chatting about the game and, and just talking about it. And I believe it was Sam that said that he had. You know, he had just died watching Zion play basketball, uh, especially uh, the dunk, which we'll talk about in a second. And (laughs) we we talked about the fact that basically this year we all have to be cats. And every time Zion kills us with a dunk, um, just ends our life with its beauty. uh, That's a life. And we have nine of them. So we have, so far, I'm pretty sure we each have used three. I think I might have used six. <laughs> so we're going to have to be use these things apparently when we talk about some of these dunks moving forward. But holy hell, that oh my alley-oop. God. <laughs> the, look, do you want to talk about the alley-oop? Do you want to talk about the LeBron Tomahawk with the right hand? Do you want to talk about uh, the other Tomahawk with the left hand? Which one do you want to start with? Uh, uh, so, I mean, the,
2: the one where he's looking down at the basket – the one, the one where he's looking. Wait, you're going to have to narrow it down. <laughs> no, the one where he's two-handed, coming from the side, and he he is legitimately, his head is legitimately four to six inches above the rim. That's that's just crazy stuff. Uh, again, I saw on ESPN they animated. They said if you look at where his arms are and the such like that, he could have dunked if the basket was three feet higher. They they elevated it three more feet and they said he was up high enough, he was at an angle and everything. If the basket was three feet higher, if it was a 13 foot basket, he still would have slammed dunked on it. That's just silly. That's yeah. just
3: crazy. Um, and and shout out to number 10 on Eastern Michigan, who <laughs> yes. knew immediately that they had done something completely terribly wrong in letting that happen. Um, to
2: surrender cobra. He, he, he little, went full he surrender cobra. Surrender it was over. hilarious. Yes. Yeah, it's great. But
3: also, here's the thing. If you're looking at the – you have to look at all the angles of this, right? And so when I'm looking uh, at a a dunk like that, so vicious and you know it's coming and you see it, I want to see who's like the first to react to it. And shout out, there is a dude – there was two guys in the Duke band that were right behind the play. And you could see one guy, and I swear to you, you think that he was jumping with Zion because as soon as Zion caught the ball, this kid is like – all the way above his peers and I'm like yo who is this kid yeah suit him up because at least you know he he might be able to grab a couple boards not on Zion but on basically everybody else uh, but yeah just the fact that you could see all these different reactions if you go back through the play, Uh, And and look through all the reactions, all of them from the surrender Cobra to the dude reacting before everybody else to the kid just like standing there with his mouth open. I'm pretty sure Alex O'Connell was just sitting there like even like even he was amazed at what he had just saw. Like it, it was completely like like you said, LeBron, LeBron made history last night and in the NBA. And the first, second and third thing people were talking about was number one. In the program at Duke University.
2: By the way, there's another play in the second half that has not gotten nearly enough attention. Uh, the play where uh, there's a loose ball, Jack White picks it up and throws it up court to mm-hmm. Trey Jones. And Trey is outside the three-point line. And because he has to catch the pass from Jack, he's like, he's almost facing the crowd. He's certainly not He's moving in the direction of their basket, but he's not facing their basket. And all in one motion, Trey, like, turns and throws the ball. He almost throws it blindly one-handed, just in the vague general vicinity of the basket. And Zion goes up and gets it and slams it. And, you know, I don't know why it hasn't gotten more attention. I think that it's because... It, it just didn't lend itself to to Zion elevating in quite the same kind of way and looking quite as spectacular. But the play that Trey Jones makes there, because I'm, again, I'm serious, like he catches it, his back is to the basket, he sort of glances over his shoulder to make sure that Zion is where he thinks he is, and then Trey, in all in one motion, tosses it up, like, and and, and actually, someone pointed out, he doesn't have to be that accurate with it because really, Zion. All I gotta do is get it
3: there. Yeah. yeah.
2: Ah, got it. There's a good 10 feet or so that, that Zion can go out and grab it and still slam it because he's up there so high for so long. So but the that- reason
3: why I didn't get a lot of cred and a lot of looks is because I, I thought it was the play of the game. The play of the game was from Trey Jones. It was, it, I double checked. It was definitely like a no look. He wasn't looking at the basket. He was turning as he, but after he released the ball, his his head, his face, the basket, but the ball's already gone. The problem with the play is that it's easily the third best dunk at, at best that Zion had last night, because you had the one in the first half, the alley-oop, and then you had the LeBron Tomahawk where he did everything just like LeBron, but he did it with his right hand. And we all know he's a lefty.
2: No, I I, I think you're, I think you're right that, uh, you know, like I said, the finish wasn't quite as spectacular, but uh, it was still a pretty amazing play. (laughs) Incredible
3: play. (laughs) Like, just think about what he had to do with his body. Like, he had to contort his body to, you know, turn to his right, catch the ball and then one fluid motion before he, basically before he landed, turn and throw it to his left and know that. I mean, that's what, hey, maybe this is what this team is all about, right? Like, do you think, like, honestly, do you think that play happens last year?
2: Because I don't. I no, I, I, um, I mean, maybe. I mean, Trevon Duval was a guy who who attempted some, uh, some, you know, pretty daring kind of plays at times. Mm-hmm. And certainly, Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley were guys who were going up and getting the ball and and slamming it down. So, um, I, it,
3: I, I kind of maybe seen that happen last so year. The reason why I say it wouldn't ha- have happened last year, and this is no slight to last year's team. I feel like this year's team, these guys have such a rapport that they know exactly where everyone is going to be on the court at all times. It's not like last year, Duval, the guys on the court, Duval, Allen, can anticipate when Carter was by the net or when Bagley was by the net. Anticipation is different than knowing. And this year's team, so far this year, you can tell that they all know where each other is on the court at all times. And if you look at that play, if you go back and look at that play, Trey Jones does not look at Zion the entire play. But he knew that he was going to be there. And just threw the ball to the net saying, hey, as long as I get it to the net, I know Zion is there ready to catch it. That is incredible to me. And it's incredible that freshmen already have that kind of rapport of the point and, and really the rest of the team as well. Because it's not, you know, the play, the play that started, like you said, was Jack White. The fact that they know where each other, where, where everyone is on the court and how to feed the ball to each other and know that all they have to do is get it to a certain spot and they know someone's going to be there. That is something that great basketball teams have. And and I'm liking that I'm seeing that three games into the season. Now, next up for the Duke Blue Devils is a trip to the 50th state, the state of Hawaii, and the Maui Invitational. As mentioned, it is a It is an invitational that Duke has never lost in, uh, and and it is usually one of the premier preseason or early season tournaments that there is in college basketball. This year, no exception. Uh, In addition to Duke, here is the field, and I'm just going to read you the field. San Diego State, Auburn, Xavier, Arizona, Iowa State, Gonzaga, and Illinois. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, three of those teams are in the top 10, two in the top five it is going to be an absolute monster of a field. Um, but we start off with San Diego state on Monday. Um, we would play um, in, a, in a bracket with Auburn and Xavier. And it seems like the setup would be if we made it to the final on Wednesday, Gonzaga possibly could be waiting for us at number four in the country. So Jason, what do you take? I know you've done some research with some of the teams, so give me your sense of what we can expect uh, in Maui. Well, so first of
2: all, you you pointed out how strong this field is. This is absolutely like making a Final Four, maybe even making a national championship game, and, and allow me to explain. San Diego State is Ken Pomeroy's like right around number 50 or so, about the 50th best team in the country. But, uh, you know, one of the better mid-majors, a really good mid-major team, you would not be at all surprised to see San Diego State in the round of 32 of the NCAA tournament. Wouldn't be a stretch by any, you know, not a stretch at all. So San Diego State's like playing, you know, your round of 32 game. Auburn, well, well, they're Ken Pomeroy's number nine team. They're ranked number nine in the AP poll as well. I mean, this Auburn team is clearly a Sweet 16, or maybe even a Final 8 kind of team. Gonzaga? Well, Gonzaga's a Final Four team. Gonzaga is, you know, probably, based on their schedule, Gonzaga's probably going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. They'll, they'll be a number two at the lowest. So winning this tournament, that's like playing, you know, around a 32 kind of team, a, a Final 8 kind of team, and a Final Four kind of team. It, this is a tough, tough tournament. And I'll tell you the other thing about it that's going to be really tough for Duke. This is not like playing Kentucky, a team that is largely made up of a lot of young guys. We are going to be playing a ton of experienced players. This is going to be men versus boys. And unfortunately, we are the boys. Let me start with San Diego State. They're probably the youngest of the teams that I expect us to play. They have a, a bunch of really good sophomores, but they also have a bunch of really good seniors. Uh, they shoot a lot from three, and they hit their threes pretty darn well. They're hitting 44 percent of their three pointers in the season. They got a, a they, they play a lot of different guys. They've got a bunch of guys who average in double figures. Um, you know, it's hard to p- say, "Hey, stop this one guy," and that's the key to beating them. That's not the key to beating San Diego State. Um, if we get past San Diego State, and I think we will, uh, probably going to face Auburn. Xavier's not bad, but I, I want to talk about Auburn. Like I said, number nine team in the land. Uh, they've already beaten a very good Washington team, a Washington team that was ranked. They beat them by more than 20 points. You you could make a a pretty good argument that like Duke beating Kentucky and then Michigan beating Villanova last night and then Auburn's victory over Washington. Auburn's victory over Washington might be like the third most impressive victory we've seen so far this season, the way they dismantled Washington really impressive. This Auburn team is excellent. They have six different guys who average in double figures, and they are all juniors and seniors. This Auburn team is full of experienced players. They're going to be a very, very tough game. You think of Auburn, you think football. I got news for you. Auburn's basketball team is better than their football team this year. And then if we reach the finals, I'm almost certain we'll play Gonzaga. Gonzaga, you know, Arizona or Iowa State is who they'd play in the semifinals. Frankly, Arizona is not that good this year. Iowa State's probably, you know, fringe top 25 kind of team. They could knock off Gonzaga, but I think Gonzaga probably wins their game. So far, Gonzaga's played two games, Texas Southern and Idaho State, not good teams. But Gonzaga won each of those games by more than 35 points. I mean, they've put up some big numbers. They've topped 100 in both of their games so far this year. They play at a fast tempo. They get up and down the floor. And this Gonzaga team is deep. They are really deep. They they have no problem playing 10 different guys. And they are really led. Arguably, the only player in the tournament, in this tournament, who's as good as Zion and RJ is Gonzaga's forward, Rui Hachimura. Rui Hachimura is a preseason All-American. And he's averaging 25 points per game this year. This dude is a scoring machine in the lane. And it. I am, I am so eager. I, I'm almost certain he will be matched up with Zion Williamson. I think it's going to be so fun and exciting to see this. Because uh, Rui Hachimura is a heck of a player. And I, I want to see what Zion can do uh, against him should, you know, Duke get there and Gonzaga get there, which I think they both will. But, you know... Got to get past Auburn first. They got to get past probably Iowa State. Um, but, but I really worry that Rui Hachimura is the kind of guy who may get Zion Williamson in some foul trouble. And that could be a major issue for Duke if we play Gonzaga in the championship. One last thing I want to point out really quick that I think is an interesting sort of thing to note. Um, we're on the better side of the draw. Even though we have Auburn, who's the better semifinal team, we're on the better side of the draw because we play the first semifinal. The semifinals are going to be at 8 p.m. and like 10:30 p.m. or so on Tuesday. The championship game is at 5 p.m. on Wednesday. Now, do a little bit of math there. If you play in that second semifinal, you probably won't be done till almost 1 a.m. on, uh, you know, not Tuesday, not a Wednesday morning at that point. And you have to turn around and play at 5 p.m. that day. You could have like a 16-hour turnaround. Three games in three days, the last of which you could have, you know, like a 15 or 16-hour turnaround. I mean, there's barely time to get back to your hotel, you know, calm down, sleep, and then wake up the next morning, have breakfast, and then go play your game. I mean, that's almost what it's going to be like. So I'm glad we're in the side of the draw that has the earlier game. Probably gives us an extra, you know, two and a half, maybe three hours of time. And I think that could be useful three games in three days for a Duke team that isn't super deep. We're kind of deep, but you know, we're not someone we're not. uh, Yeah. I, I think our good players are RJ and Zion and Trey and cam. They're all going to be playing 30 plus minutes a game. And you know, it's their first time trying to do that three games in three days. That's, that worries me a lot for that Gonzaga game. And so that's, that's what I got for a, for a preview for the, for the tournament.
3: Well, I mean, to be fair on your last point about uh, the the time, I mean, it is five hours different. So, 5 p.m. here is, is noon there. But I think the point is well taken in the sense that it will be a quick turnaround, that the games are going to be, uh, you know, the championship, I believe, is at, you know, you said 5 p.m. Eastern time. That's noon um, in Maui. So um, that is, in any case, that is an early start. That's going to be one of the first times that those guys will have to experience the, you know, getting up probably at 6 a.m. to get ready, you know, have, have a good meal and, and really start preparations for a game, which – you know, for some, you know, programs takes five to six hours to do. So that is a test for our team. But, you know, another test in that sense is that gym is cramped. That gym is not a, you know, a basketball arena. It is uh, your your high school gym is bigger than Shamanad's gym. Like it's it's that, you know, is that sort of uh, place where things get, you know, it gets hot, it gets humid, um, cramps come up a lot. And like you said, our depth is going to be a major factor in how we perform in Maui because they're going to need you know all you know 10, 11 guys to offer some you know some productive minutes because in those in that heat you know it in that heat in that gym everyone's going to be tired um, and those legs are going to be rubbery and, and it's one of those things where three games in 3 days in like the ACC tournament is one thing this is three games in three days where you're you will feel like you're running twice as much, uh, because of the the humid air. So uh, I think that's a major test. But I like what you said about um, how we start off. Um, I like you know Auburn, like you said. I thought their game against was against Washington was an impressive game, and it's one of those things where you're saying at the beginning of the season, why is Auburn in the top ten? That game showed you why. So um, I think it's going to be a great, great great draw for us because i'm really curious to see how we play against you know a couple more big time opponents um yeah sure a lot of times you could say that you know beating kentucky the way we did was kind of lightning in a bottle but can it strike twice and i think this is a major test where you say hey you know when you play this team and you and you win there's no let up there's no let up you're, you're playing another good team in less than 24 hours so um, I'm really curious to see how this team will respond. Um, I think coach will have been right ready the long the long trip. Um, I like that we have kind of an extra couple of days to get out to Maui and get acclimated and kind of get situated before the games happen. But make no mistake, this is going to be a really fun week of basketball, and I think that uh, our guys are up for the challenge. Duke is currently number one in the land on the strength of that victory
2: over Kentucky, and there there are people who are you know. Not completely sold yet. It's not like Kentucky looked like world beaters after we beat them. Um, you know, since they played us, they 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 haven't looked great in their game since then. Um, if if Duke is still number one a week from now, it will be because we have won this tournament. It Be because we beat San Diego State, probably Auburn, and probably Gonzaga. If we're if we do that, those three games in three days, we a hundred percent deserve to be number one. This is the toughest field of any tournament out there this, this uh, season. And, and isn't it always that way for us? <laughs> Last it's, year in that PK-80, we were in the
3: toughest field, and we're, here we are again. And the great thing, and we say this every, every season when we have this little early season tournament, it's a, it's a terrific field, and it's a terrible field at the same time, but there's one great reason. It's because we're in it. All right, guys, before we get to the football, we have a nice little treat for you. Um, the Last couple of weeks, this actually took place a couple of weeks ago, um, but we have had a couple of uh, heavy action packed episodes. So we wanted to make sure that we got this in at a pretty good time. But I'm going to turn it over to Jason because, Jason, you got to go to a Hawks game a couple of weeks ago that featured a couple of our Blue Devils. So why don't you take it away? Yeah,
2: so I was uh, I was very lucky. I, I reached out to the Hawks and I reached out to the Sacramento Kings. And I said, hey, I'm the host of the Duke Basketball Report podcast, to which they said, the what? <laughs> they don't but know I who convinced- we are. That's their fault. Yeah, it's not ours. yeah I, I convinced <laughs> them that, that, that we are a legitimate uh, news organization, that they should pay attention to us. And they gave me a press pass that allowed me to go, uh, back in the locker rooms after the game was over and I, I had a chance to chat with former Dukies, two two guys who were both number one ranked recruits in their class Harry Giles and Marvin Bagley uh, it was a lot of fun um, both guys were uh, were very revealing it, it's not a long conversation you know usually when we do these things we have 15 20 minutes or so to talk to these players I, you know i I, <laughs> I will be honest they were like literally wearing towels around their waist and their their hair was wet from being in the shower Uh, they were there were naked bodies around it was not a it's not a time for me to spend a half hour chatting with these guys they had buses to catch and clothes to put on and stuff like that so i only got about five seven minutes with each one of them but they were both very nice and very gracious and by the way uh the whole time i was doing the interview uh i guess the guys in the locker room they're used to sort of regular reporters they're not used to podcasters like me like literally, there was this little crowd of kings who were who were listening in on the whole thing, <laughs> who were like making little okay. side comments and stuff. I'll let you listen to the interview, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about the side comments that were going on. And and there's a bonus interview in between the interview with Harry and the interview with Marvin. There's a bonus interview, uh, and I'll, I'll folks enjoy it. Here you go. Okay. So I'm here with Harry Giles. Hey, Harry, so I want to ask you, has it been frustrating you had to sit out all of last year? And and now you know, you're playing some this year but not not as much as you'd like. what's it, what's the transition been like?
4: Uh, it's been good. Uh it's been slow just trying to just figure it out out there and just trying to just play my role the right, right way. So just uh just uh taking my process and steps the right way and being a good teammate and uh just staying ready so what
2: what 's been the most difficult thing about the transition from college to pro ball
4: uh probably just the the pace but it 's not it's actually it 's weird how it is it's like not faster, but the nBA has its own pace uh, can 't really explain it, but you know it 's just different and then just the just the strength uh and then for me as a rookie, I just learn how to play. You know, without getting certain calls, you know, the rookie, they're going to be on you tough. Uh, it's just it's what it is. So I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, play that line between playing aggressive and playing smart at the same time and figuring out what I can do out there. Uh, do you do you feel like you're
2: finally fully healthy? I mean, such terrible knee injuries, and then you that was that all of last
4: year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, feel, I feel fine. I feel great. Uh, I'm just ready to go out there and just show it. Do
2: you stay connected to Duke very much? you talk to any of your former teammates?
4: Definitely. Uh, you know, the ones I'm always with, Jason, Marquise. Uh, with Marquise still being there, and then, you know, my guys to send it in B.A. too. Uh, even the ones that I didn't play with, you know, I see them. We always show love and just connect. And um, I try to keep it to keep in touch with the guys there as much as I can, just trying to give them support and let them know, they, know they're going to have a great season.
2: And do you still feel connected to Duke? I mean, one and done. You're only there for a short right, time.
4: Right, but... right, right, I mean, I'm a, I went there, so always uh, – there's plenty of one and done, so you know always got to feel that connection.
2: So, I've interviewed lots of former Duke players, like dozens of them, right. for the podcast, and I ask every one of them give me a good Coach K story. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a good Coach K story you can give me?
4: Uh, what they say?
2: Well, so like uh, Shane Battier told me a story about him bringing a sword in the locker room, and I got you know I've gotten some great stories about how he motivates you guys. Anything like that?
4: Uh, uh, before the game, we always listen to music, um, and it's crazy seeing them bump around and walk around to the songs that we listen to and kind of get excited with us. And, you know, one time I remember the song caught them. they got him really excited. Like, come on, let's go. So it was just cool to see him catch a wave. That's awesome. Thanks, man. We really appreciate it. Good luck to you. All the Duke fans are rooting for you. Thank you so much. Go Duke.
2: All right, so uh, I'm about to talk to Marvin Bagley, but first I'm going to talk to Justin Jackson. I got to know, man. UNC, Duke, you got a couple Duke teammates on your team. I mean, is
5: this difficult? Is this hard? No. Uh, I mean, I think like once the games come around, then it might be a little different. Uh, but, I mean, I think uh, we're on the same team, man. We're, we're teammates now. It just kind of goes out the window. But it's definitely fun whenever whenever that college season starts back up. And, you know, we've got – things going on with the games and stuff like that so uh, yeah y'all gonna make any make any wagers come february it is you trying to get me in trouble there's no betting no tipping no gambling uh, oh sorry nba rules so no we're not gonna make any any type of bets yeah i like that i like that i caught you though um but i mean we'll uh you know what it'll be definitely fun whenever the season starts obviously they got a really good team we got a good one so you know worried about kansas but duke i think we'll uh it should should be good games should be good games. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it.
2: Okay, so I'm here with Marvin Bagley. Um, Duke basketball report interviewing you, man. I want to know you were always the best player on every floor that you stepped on throughout your entire life, and now you're in the NBA, and it's maybe not quite as easy. What's the transition been like?
6: Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's been good, man. I'm just having fun, you know. Enjoying enjoy my teammates and just getting these wins, man. That's all I can do.
2: Yeah, you guys are six and three, and surprising. What what's been the easiest part of the transition, and what's been the most difficult thing?
6: Um, you know, it's, it's it's different, definitely. Uh, the traveling and stuff like that, and doing all of that, the different traveling. Uh, but you know, we're just having fun. Like I said, um, it's it's good to be around these guys, and uh, we just got to keep this win streak going.
2: Uh, what do you miss the most about college? What do you miss most about Duke?
6: Um, uh, just the uh, yeah, the college atmosphere, you know, the, the coaches. Um, you know, just my teammates, you know, we had a lot of great games together. We fought a lot of games out. Um, you know, we got some, we got some good wins, and all um, you know, of those guys uh, to this day. So, uh, you know, it's something that you can't erase. erase sorry. Uh,
2: so, I ask every former Duke player. I've interviewed dozens of them, and they always give me a good Coach K story, like how he motivates you guys, things like that. Rack your brain. Give me your best Coach K story.
6: There's too many of them. Uh, <laughs> Coach was you no. Know, I would sometimes just sit back and just watch, just watch coach, just observe and, you know, to see how he approaches the game and how he takes the game serious and coach never took a a game off. Uh, That's something that stood out to me is even with all the success that he's had in the past and um, with the U.S. team, he still wanted to win and still had that passion to win and, and wanted to get better. And I think that's what I picked up from him is, you know, no matter where you're at, there's always room for improvement. Um, you can always learn from anything and anybody, and uh, you know, I, I, that's why I admire Coach so much.
2: Okay, so last question. Last year you had one of the great seasons all time for a freshman, for anyone, but especially for a freshman at Duke. Have you seen Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett? You think are those guys going to approach what you, what you did?
6: Um. Yeah, man. They they have a great team right now. They they gonna do some big things. Um. I'm definitely excited to watch them. Uh. You know, I got a chance to go back in the summer and you know go to open, play open gym with those guys, and uh, I'm definitely excited to see what they have um, in store for for the fans and for Cameron and you know just for college basketball. So I'm definitely looking forward to that.
2: So who you played with them a little bit? Who, who's the best freshman?
6: They all good. That's that's can't pick one. You know, it's a lot of those guys coming in. They, they're gelling together um, you know you got RJ who can do different things Zion can do different things jumps out of the gym um, you know you got a lot of guys on that team that can do different things to, to, to bring the, the team together and win games so um, it's gonna be exciting to watch those guys
2: all right sorry so I completely forgot about this but I have to ask have you talked to you got a bunch of you got a bunch of Kentucky guys on this team with you with you and Harry are you guys all gonna get together to watch the game next week?
6: Uh we haven't talked about it. it probably will. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good it's gonna be a good game and uh <laughs> you know, I'm I'm like I said I'm excited to see what they going what they're gonna bring to, to college basketball, so it should be fun. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, thank you. All
2: right. So by the way, I, I love that Justin Jackson of UNC. Former, you know, Duke rival Justin Jackson was right there ready and, and eager to talk to me. Like I said, a lot of the players standing around were, were, were listening in on this. Um, there are a couple guys on the, uh, on the Kings roster who went to Kansas. I, I think if you listen carefully in the background, you could hear someone going, yo, talk to me, talk to me. And at one point, when I to Justin Jackson, there was a guy who was like, what about Kansas? That was Ben McLemore. Uh- <laughs>
3: <laughs> like basically, if you're, if you're in the, the Kings locker room you know, as far as the blue Bloods are concerned, you could probably interview most of the champions classic. Oh yeah,
2: oh they they have they, they got guys from all over the place. So they were uh, they were having a lot of fun, and it was uh, it was really fun. Uh, the, the guys were enjoying it. Um, I, I thought Marvin to me had probably the 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 most telling comment when he talked about the speed of the NBA game, uh, and I think you know there's been all this talk about you know, oh, hey, could this Duke team play in the NBA and that other kind of stuff? I mean, remember how great Marvin Bagley was. Duke played at a fast pace last year. Marvin Bagley was a guy who was known for getting up and down the floor really fast. And when I asked him what the biggest transition to the NBA was, there was no hesitation. He said the speed of the game. And I think that's really telling and a really interesting comment, um, uh, you know, about about what the adjustment is like for these guys coming from... um. Coming, coming from the college game to the pro game, that that twenty four second shot clock and just the the pace that they play at in the NBA is a real transition.
3: Yeah, I I I thought that was pretty telling too. You know, we we've talked a lot about Zion Williamson's motor and how he's just on the go all the time. You know, very few guys that we've seen um, in college basketball, at least since I've started watching, have had a motor that Zion Williamson has and. And if you think about it, even he's going to have to ratchet it up a notch um, in the NBA because everyone in the NBA has a motor that is go, go, go. Um, but I thought that was really telling. But, I, you know, watching I've watched the Kings play a few games um, so far this year, and what strikes me about them is that a lot of them are, you know, they're having some learning pains, but at the same time, they all have confidence. And I, I think no one better exhibits that confidence than Harry Giles, because you know, what he's had to go through with his various knee injuries and just, you know, coming back from that to, you know, basically try and, you know, etch out a role on an NBA team, that takes a lot of confidence. And and you could tell in his voice that he's just he wants to be out there, he wants to play, he's he's working hard. Um, and even though it may be coming a little bit slower than he thought, uh, I, I think that sort of confidence is what's going to keep him in the NBA. He may, he may never be a star. He may be a star. You never know. But I like the fact that he has the confidence that he's he's talking like a guy who's going to be playing when he's 35 years old and he's only 20. So I really enjoy that. But, Jason, I have to talk to you about your penny. Look, um, man, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious that you tried to set up Justin Jackson with the betting question, <laughs> and he was immediately like, nope no nope, nope, we cannot we're not do allowed. that and we we do not allow that in the nba in the national basketball association which is exactly what people say when they are doing exactly what they're telling you that they are not doing
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know it was when funny said, when, when i said it to him I, and by the way it, full disclosure sam was the one i'm pretty sure i, I, I told you guys i was doing this interview with two guys and i think it was sam who said that i needed to ask um uh, Harry and and Marvin specifically uh, about some of the other guys in the Kings like Willie Cauley Stein who went to Kentucky like I, I did this interview before the Duke Kentucky game and mm-hmm. and and so I w- I was supposed to ask them um you know hey do you got any side bets with like you know Willie Cauley Stein or or you know the other guys uh, who who played at Kentucky who are who are on the roster uh, and I went oh you know what I'll before I even asked that. Uh, I'll I'll go ahead and I'll ask it of Justin Jackson, and Justin shut me down so quickly. He was just like, "Nope, nope, we're not. There's no gambling. That's not allowed." You try to. He's like, "You try to set me up and get me in trouble." It was really. It was very funny. Yeah, but uh, but I I think they I think there was some wink wink nudge nudge going on. I, I'm I'm sure those guys. I'm those guys. They're they're making they're they're if nothing else they're they're making wagers on stuff like you got to carry my bags.
3: Yeah, and, and I mean, look—the one of the more recent ones that was pretty funny um, was uh, a couple years ago when it was the uh, Cleveland Indians and the Chicago Cubs in the World Series, and LeBron and Dwayne Wade made a bet, and the loser had to wear the jersey of the other t- of the of the. I remember team. that. So I Dwayne Wade, had, I'm sorry, uh, LeBron had to wear a Chicago Cubs jersey. Um, When they played, uh, when the Cleveland Cavaliers played at Chicago, so I mean, look, we weren't. When I was thinking about side bets, I wasn't necessarily thinking about money because, you know, in the grand scheme of things, when they're when you're talking about the NBA, like a like a five hundred dollar bet is is very is very little um, when you're talking about guys who make millions of dollars. But you know, it's more about the public humiliation that uh, that they have to endure um, by wearing like the jersey of another team. Um, or they paint their locker, like, you know, Duke Blue or, or whatever, Kentucky uh, checkerboard, whatever it is. But those sort of things are always kind of funny because this always comes without warning. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, why are you, uh, what's the uh, explanation for this jersey that you're wearing? And and then they're like, well, you know, you know, LeBron, LeBron won, so I had to do this. I, I think that's sort of the thing that we may see towards the end of ACC season.
2: I can't wait. I can't wait because uh, I I think the Duke guys will do well when it comes to making wagers with Carolina guys and other other players this year.
3: (laughs) And also one final point. I think the cool thing is that you can tell that as busy as they are, they're still keeping track um, of the the guys on the team. Um, They may not be speaking with them directly because there's a lot of rules uh, associated with that and they don't want to be viewed as tampering or, or anything like that. But I think just you know following the team is something that when they talked about this rebranding of the Brotherhood, um, that's really what they mean is that these guys are feel I feel like these guys are locked in, not just with what they're doing on the professional uh, on the professional level, but they're still locked in with their university. And and when we talk about a lot of these one and dones and a lot of people being you know saying that they don't really you know fit in, they don't really you know uh, become one with the university, the interviews that you had just show me that that's completely false, that these guys are locked in, that they're tuned in with what Duke is doing and they feel a part of the, the success of future programs. So um, I, I think that is always telling when they talk about uh, some of the guys on the team and, and how they you know watch them on the road and stuff. And I think it's still it's still one of those things that's really cool when you hear a professional say, I'm still following my university play basketball.
2: The, the brotherhood is real and it and it lasts after you leave the duke campus
3: today's podcast as always is sponsored by two duke alums and former class of 1978 roommates Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird both diehard duke followers and the founders of Bird Campbell PA your duke signature business law firm they have offices in Dallas, Orlando and the Gulf Coast and if you have watched or cheered Duke football or basketball, you know what it means to be a Blue Devil. These guys got it. They watched close to 3,000 games. They have been a longtime sponsor of this podcast, and we sincerely thank them for their support throughout the years. Reach out to them at birdcampbell.com if you are in need of legal advice and you live in Texas or Florida, or if for nothing else, just to talk basketball with them and then say, go to hell, Carolina. Okay, uh, I think we're done with basketball for right now. And you know what? On the football side, there are still two more games left. For for those of you out there, we're going to be on a break uh, for Thanksgiving. So while we are gone, Duke will finish out the regular season. First off, they will take on. Well, let's just say it's they're going to Death Valley, and they're going to play the number two Clemson Tigers um, at Death Valley under the lights on Saturday night, 7 p.m. kickoff time. That game is going to be interesting to say the least. Uh, but they will come back next weekend as well uh, and play Wake Forest at home. It's the final game of the year uh, of the regular season, senior day at 1230 p.m. kickoff. And right now, here's the thing. We're sitting at seven and three. So we have a chance to really move up. And now we're talking bull tier selections and, and, and a lot of different things when it comes to these two games. So, Jason. What do you what are you expecting to see this weekend? What are you expecting to see next weekend? And in general, what do you think the this what are you looking for uh, for Duke football to improve on?
2: Well, I, I mean, there are a lot of folks who half jokingly and half seriously say, uh, "Can we just forfeit this Clemson game and, and just make sure that no one gets hurt and you know because <laughs> we don't have any chance to win?" Um, I, I, I I don't want to go quite that far. I, I don't want to. I mean, look. Does Duke have a chance to win? We're like a 24 point underdog or something like that. I think I saw. Um, Clemson. Clemson is really, really good. Clemson's the best team in the country, not named Alabama.
3: We are a and 28 point underdog.
2: 28. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, so, I, I I would love for us to keep it respectable. I think that would be an important step for the program. Um, uh, you know. I, I would, I would really love for this to be like maybe a ten-point game at halftime, maybe even less than that. I think that would be a, an amazing thing for our program. Um, it, it is a prime-time game; there'll be a lot of folks watching, uh, and I think it can. I think if Duke shows well in this game, it can help uh, our our bowl bid situation. And and I'll tell you something else that's going to happen in this game: there are going to be NFL scouts in attendance, a lot of NFL scouts. Now, a lot of them going to be watching the the Clemson players but they are going to be a pretty fair number of them who want to see how some of the guys on Duke are able to do against NFL-quality players on the other side because that's what Clemson is. Clemson's full of NFL-quality players. Clemson's full of guys who are going to be drafted in you know the first three, four rounds of the draft and expected to be starters in the NFL. And uh, you know if you're talking about... Uh, we, we've all heard the, the, the talk this week that Daniel Jones, Mel Kuyper Jr., the most respected NFL draft analyst out there, says that Daniel Jones is a first-round draft pick and probably one of the top 20 picks in the first round. He rates Daniel Jones as the second-best quarterback in the entire NFL draft. There are NFL scouts who will be watching the game this weekend who are very eager to see how Daniel Jones does against the impressive Clemson defense. They're also going to be interested in seeing guys like Joe Giles Harris, who is another guy who I think has a real chance to be uh, a, you know, a decent NFL draft pick. Um, uh, and, and there, you know, there could be a couple other guys on Duke who, playing well this weekend, will be a big deal for their future. And again, if Duke shows well in this game, I think it can really help us in terms of being a team that is relevant nationally and a team that, um, uh, you know, is attractive from a bowl standpoint. Now, fast forward really, really, really quick, and then Donald, I'll let, I'll let you give your thoughts on the Clemson game, uh, the the Wake Forest game. Um, could be a huge, huge game for Wake because it could be the game that they need to get themselves bowl eligible. Um, they are currently five and five, and it's entirely possible that Wake will need to win that game against us to become bowl eligible. Um, we are a better team than Wake Forest. Wake isn't bad. Wake has some very good wide receivers, and Duke is challenged, <laughs> challenged in the secondary, because I think we're down to our like seventh string cornerback because we've had so many injuries and stuff. Um So it's going to be, a, a you know, pr- a, perhaps a tougher game than just the relative quality of the two teams would indicate. Uh, and Wake will be very motivated. But I really, really, I, I, I want to see us get to that eighth regular season win, because like you said, I think we can really step up in bowl, caliber um and importance uh if we are a team that that has eight wins especially if we also are a team that looked fairly good uh, against Clemson
3: yeah and you know what to to circle back to Clemson I think my thoughts are I want us to impress now a lot of people would think impress would be with a win it doesn't necessarily mean a win of course I, I want us to win of course we have a chance to win if we play you know our best ball game of the season, we can beat Clemson because Clemson is not uh, an NFL team like Alabama seems to be uh, right now. But I, I think when it comes to, you know, impressive impressions, it's Saturday night is under the lights. A lot of people will be watching this game. Like you said, because you know, one, there's going to be a lot of scouts there 2 We're talking about Clemson and, and people are saying, okay, if Clemson is going to be in this playoff, like, how are they going to stack up against Alabama? How are they going to stack up against, uh, you know, number three Notre Dame or number four Michigan who are in in, in the playoff as of today? And, and what that's going to be is means it's an opportunity for our guys to say, hey, look, you know, we got some guys too. We have some talent on this side of the football too. And, and you know, when it comes to Daniel Jones, a lot of NFL scouts are going to be looking at him to see, hey, who is this guy that people keep saying, is one of the top two, three quarterbacks in the class. He has to come out and have a tremendous game. That's only going to help our confidence. That's going to help our momentum. And honestly, if you get Clemson on its back foot, who knows what could happen, you know? And and so with that, that's what I'm really looking for. There's a lot of things that have to go right for us to beat Clemson. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It, It's, you know, a 28-point underdog. The 28-point underdogs for a reason. Clemson is very, very good. Uh, and it's going to take a hell of a game to beat them, but that's not to say that it can't happen. So uh, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they how they show out, and uh, and really if our guys can impress at the end, they may be there and they may have an opportunity to pull off one of the biggest upsets of the last couple of years in college football. So uh, with that, it, you know, with Wake Forest, like you said, they're going to have an opportunity to become bowl eligible, and possibly it could be. By trying to beat us on the, in that game, it's their yeah, senior day. the game the game they have
2: in between is Pitt. They play Pitt this weekend, and and we know Pitt
3: Pitt's playing really well right now. Yeah, and Pitt can score the ball. Um, but you know, Wake Forest they just beat NC State just last week, so um, you know they're they're kind of probably using that as confidence, right? But I, I think in the end, for us, we just have to sit back and play our game. We're better than Wake Forest, in my opinion. We just have to go out and show that we are, and and really, you know. That might be a game that you know Joe Giles Harris might come back um, if he's fit and ready to go. That would be a very big boost uh, to our defense because I think with him and his motor and his organization, he's the one that keeps everybody focused and and really you know tied in and locked in on the same thing. We missed that against UNC, even though we pulled off the win. We missed that sort of guy in the middle that can clog up the middle and also organize how to how the defense is structured on the outside. So um, against Wake Forest, is going to be very important. And if Joe Giles-Harris, for some reason, is not in that game and can't feature in that game, the guys next up really have to really focus on that. So uh, I think with Wake Forest, they're going to throw everything they have at us, and we just have to withstand that pressure. I think we can, and if we do, we're looking at at least eight wins, and and that's a tremendous tremendous, uh, season. And who knows what bowl game we could end up at with after that point? All right. So, uh, really quick,
2: I, I I just want to explain to folks why we are a twenty-eight point underdog to Clemson. Clemson's last five games. You, you ready for these scores? They played I know Wake them. Forest. Go ahead. <laughs> they played Wake Forest. Clemson won sixty-three to three. After that, they played NC State. They won forty-one to seven. Then it was Florida State. Remember when Florida State used to be good? They ain't mm-hmm. anymore. Clemson won 59 to 10. The week after that was Louisville. Worst beatdown in Louisville history, 77 to 16. And then last week they played Boston College, a ranked Boston College team. They only won 27 to 7. But if you're wondering why Duke is a 28 point underdog, look at listen to those scores. 63 to 3, 77 to 16. 59 to 10 and the big takeaway from all those games again how many points their opponent scored three seven ten sixteen and seven it is tough to get points on Clemson if Duke is able to put up 14 20 points that would be a real real success and uh, you know that would be a sign that Daniel Jones is the stud we
3: all think he is All right. Now we wrap up as usual with our player of the week. And Jason, I have a feeling I know who your player of the week is, but go ahead and give it to me anyway.
2: I mean, I feel like it's a broken record. Every week it's the same guy. And it's the same guy because he's friggin' ridiculous. He's off the charts good. Zion Williamson, 10 for 12. (laughs) Nine (laughs) rebounds. He only got nine rebounds. What, What kind of lousy game was that? Two block shots and and as you alluded to earlier, he he killed us. He sucked our souls. He destroyed the world at least three times
3: with those slam dunks. Zion Williamson was my player of the week. Um, so I'm gonna go with somebody different this week. You know. You the man. Go so, for it, baby. So with with RJ Barrett, you know, he had 20 points and, and I really enjoyed. We haven't talked about him all show. So I want to make note of that. I but in the end, I'm gonna go with zion williamson (laughs) is a different player um than zion williamson um because like i said (laughs) you know what i can't even say it the dude is just a freak he's amazing he's an animal and uh i'm pretty sure i only have three of these uh zion lives left uh after watching that game so um yeah sorry rj sorry cam sorry trey sorry everybody else it's zion you know, uh, by the
2: way, you, you know who quietly had a really great game was Jack White. Yeah. Uh, uh, once again, Jack White. Six rebounds, four block shots, ten points.
3: It's a nice little game from Jack White. but mark, mark my words, Jack White will do something that will win a game in Maui. I do not dispute that one little bit. All right, and now we are on to parting shots. Jason, I know what your parting shot is, and it's a good one. So let's, let's hear it. Oh, my God, I'm so mad. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. Before we go, uh spoiler <laughs> alert, this is a Jason Rant coming, Jason Evans Rant, on his favorite team to rant about. Jason, do your work. So
2: yes. So uh the NCAA uh released their uh graduation progress report um uh for, for all the teams in college uh in, in all of college sports. Um and they break it down by um by, you know, how, how you did as a school in all sports, how you do in football, how you do in basketball, and all, all the other kind of stuff, um, 98%. 98% of Duke student athletes across all sports either graduate within six years, or they leave school, you know, turn pro, whatever else it may be, in good academic standings, which means they were on course to graduate. Essentially, you know, if, if, you're, if you're only there for a year or if you're there for two or three years and then you leave early, but you are clearly going to graduate if you continued, then, then they count that, which, which they should. That's the only logical way to do this. Ninety-eight percent of Duke students, Duke student-athletes, either graduate or leave in good academic standing. That is... Unbelievable, incredibly impressive. It ties us with Northwestern and Notre Dame as the top graduation student record team in the uh, school in the country. Puts us just ahead of Stanford and Vanderbilt who are each at 97%. Think about that, uh, that, those five schools, Duke, Northwestern, Notre Dame, Stanford, Vanderbilt, schools that compete at the highest level and yet they graduate 97, 98% of their student athletes. Unbelievably impressive. Do you want to know who's the second worst team in the ACC at that? The second lowest team in the ACC. The lowest is Florida State at 82%. North Carolina, UNC. Remember the Carolina Way? They, they care so much about academics. The Carolina Way, that's what that means, that they're good at sports and also good at academics.
3: Carolina's second to last in the ACC. But wait, that's, that's all sports. You know what that is? You know what that is, Jason? It's more yeah. like Carolina Way down the bottom of the standings. There
2: you go, baby. But I apologize. That, that was for all sports. That includes like the fencers and the swimmers and those other non-revenue sports. Let's just talk about the revenue sports because we know that's what Carolina really cares about. And that's where Carolina doesn't give a damn about educating their athletes one little bit. Let's look at football, for example. You know that Duke in football has a 96% graduation rate for their students. Second only, to Northwestern at 99. 96%, second best of every single football school in the country. North Carolina, they're dead last in the ACC. 62%. Two out of every five North Carolina football players don't graduate. That's shameful. That's embarrassing. Basketball. Now, it must be better in basketball. It, you, you don't have an 80 or 90 person basketball team. It's just 13 guys that you have to worry about. It's just 13 guys you have to make sure go to class. Duke? Dukes at 100 percent. We're the top school in the country in basketball. 100 percent of Duke basketball student athletes, men's basketball, of course graduate or leave school in good academic standing. 100 percent of them. North Carolina. second to last in the ACC. 14, 15 teams, sorry, in the ACC. North Carolina, second to last. Only NC State at 56% is worse than North Carolina. Again, two out of every five North Carolina basketball players either don't graduate or leave school in bad academic standing. And let's remember, people, they spent two decades cheating. They spent two decades putting athletes into classes and giving them grades, even if the athletes didn't do any work. The Carolina way, the Carolina way is to not educate your players. I wish it would be my fervent prayer that every single time a coach made contact with a recruit for a revenue sport, they had to begin the conversation. The first thing they had to say every time they called, every time they. Texted Every time they had an unofficial or official visit, every single time Roy Williams and Larry the Hat Fedora walks into a home and says hello to the parents and the player that they're recruiting, I wish the NCAA would require them. I would, they would require Roy to say, by the way, only 64% of my athletes graduate. That should be a requirement. Every kid should know it. They should be aware that if they go to UNC, they are not going to get an education, that that school doesn't give a damn about educating their athletes. They didn't care about it when they were cheating for 20 years. And
3: now that the cheating's done, they still don't care. And Shame you, you, miss, you miss an important person, that important set of people that they should be informing. And that's the parents. Because if you think about it with all these recruits, they talk about the basketball a lot. It's the parents that ask about the education because they're the ones that are it, to, to be frank, they're the ones that are like, hey, we don't care about the basketball. They can get a basketball education anywhere. How's your actual education doing? And if they were telling me that to a lot of parents, I'm pretty sure a lot of parents would make them see the door very quickly. Amen. Amen, brother. It is, it is
2: so shameful. And I mean, I keep on going back to, as you know, folks who are listening to the podcast may not know this about me, but I know Donald does. I have so much family that went to Carolina and were Carolina fans. I grew up a Carolina fan until I went to Duke. The Carolina way actually really meant something. Like people talked about it. It was uh, the fact that Carolina supposedly pretended to educate their athletes. We, we, we all believed in it. It was their reputation. They were one of the public ivy. Not anymore. Not And, and it turns out it hasn't been that way for a long, long, long time. And what I find really shameful is that after being involved in the worst, the most egregious, the most terrible academic scandal in college sports history, in the wake of that scandal, North Carolina still can't bother to graduate more than three out of every five basketball and football players that come there. Just sad.
3: Really sad. That was your patent-pending Carolina rant by Jason Evans, and it was a good one this week. Thanks, Jason. Um, my final, my parting shot, uh, I actually want to talk about an article that was on uh, the front page of the DBR uh, of earlier this week, and it was about why Duke doesn't play a lot of true road games. And I want to push back on the article just a bit because in the, it mentions a lot about, we don't go on a lot of these road trips because of how opposing team fans have treated Duke players and Duke families and Duke fans in the past. And while, yeah, there, there have been a lot of incidents um, where, uh, where opposing teams have, you know, cursed out, you know, players or, or talked about their families, thrown bottles at players, families, hello, Maryland, um, and, and other things that are just absolutely disgusting that's not, in my opinion, why we don't go in road games. Because honestly, you know, when guys come to Karen, we're giving them their best work too. We're not, we're not throwing bottles, we're not saying vile things about you know family members or anything like that, but we're ribbing them, we're giving them a hard time, and we're making Cameron an absolute fortress. We want it so that nobody comes onto onto our floor and and walks off with a victory. And I think that's what every team is trying to do. A lot of them just do it in different ways that may or may not be appropriate for uh, college basketball. But I will say this, when you look at what we, we, we've we discussed on this podcast, uh, just this episode about how we've played Kentucky, how we're going to play possibly Auburn and Gonzaga in the next week. Um, after that, Indiana looms. After that, Texas Tech. And then we get into ACC season, which the ACC has what? eight teams in the top 25 right now, that, and a lot of those games, yes, some of them are are true road games in the ACC, but honestly, the games are, are more important. Who we're playing is important. And it doesn't matter whether we play Kentucky at Rupp Arena, at Cameron Indoor Stadium, at Bankers Life Fieldhouse, or on the moon. That game is a big game. It doesn't matter where we play Gonzaga, whether it's a hot, sweaty gym in Maui, or if it's somewhere on the West Coast, or if it's somewhere on the East Coast. It means it's a big game, and I think what we're looking at is an era where true road games really don't matter uh, as much as the teams that you're playing. And I think is I, I do think so, I do think going on road games is great. And uh, you know, to be frank, there yeah, there are a couple times where I say, hey, it'd be cool to go. And watch to play, at you know Indiana or at you know Kentucky or at one of these big programs, but in the end, it the big games are what matter when you're looking at the resume of college basketball. No one when we talk about March Madness and we talk about the mid majors, they don't talk about who they went to. They talk about who they've beaten, and in the end of the day. Having some of these big games in our schedule is really going to do wonders for us, and it's not like this, you know, is leading for us like going a true road. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not like going, not going on road games is affecting our schedule. Our strength of schedule is normally one of the top ten in the country every single season, and we don't get to play ourselves, which would really bump our our, our rating up a little bit. So, uh, I think in the end, it's not about what we experience when we go on these road games is the fact that these road games pale in comparison to some of the teams that we can play on neutral sites. And honestly, when we're talking about it, we get down to the real root of this. The ACC championship is not played on anyone's home floor. The NCAA tournament is not played on anyone's home floor. So to get these true tests and true neutral sites from small gyms in Maui to big NBA arenas in Indianapolis. These games are all going to count, and I think Coach K knows what he's doing when he's talking about scheduling some of these games in big arenas. Because at the end of the day, if we want to be playing on the first Monday in April, it's not going to be in anyone's home court.
2: That's a great point. You are you are so, so so right about that. Although
3: the Maui were paying playing on a court that seats twenty four hundred people. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> I'm pretty sure um, most people out there their high school gymnasium is bigger than that of Chaminade's and Chaminade is an actual university that will be hosting three of the top 10 teams in the country next week. Um, But uh, yeah, it is, it's an interesting, and that's kind of what makes that tournament so special to watch every single year. And that is going to do it for episode 135 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, remember, we are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. So if you like us, please subscribe to us. Leave some nice, cushy reviews that helps us with our our ratings, that helps us with our, our searchability, uh, and it really just makes us feel good to hear from you guys. If you guys have feedback or comments about some of the show, uh, please email us at dbrpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com, and we do respond to them Um Some people say, oh, that it's just an empty email that they could just dump a lot of stuff. We've gotten some great feedback over the years uh, that we've had that email address, and it really is uh, something that we value and take pride that we are responding to what you guys out there want. So uh, if you are so inclined, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to our sponsors, Bird Campbell, uh, and thanks to Jason for joining me tonight. Sam, we will check him out next time, Uh, but for now, Duke Band, take us home.
0: Are
2: you ready to get started?
3: It's time to expect more from urgent care. Like caregivers who take time to listen. Smooth access to local specialty care if you need it. Virtual visits and save your spot convenience. Plus, easy access community locations. And we're open 365 days a year to treat your sprains, cuts, fever, and flu. Northwell Health Go Health Urgent Care. Get more than you expect and exactly what you need. Welcome to a new era in urgent care.